Hey guys, welcome back to the Max Spence Business Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. So today's guest is Gigi Robinson. So she is a full-time content creator with over 160,000 followers across all their plot, uh, platforms. She also has a podcast about mental health and social media. Uh, she's also a professional photographer, and she is also taking her master's of science right now, which is pretty crazy. So it's great to have you on the show today, Gigi. Hi, thanks for having me. What a nice intro. And I know we were kind of giggling about this as like, it is such a mouthful. So how do you even like describe your career um, as like a freelancer? And that's the term I really like to use. I, I call myself a freelancer, a content creator, an influencer, a brand marketer, brand strategist, student, learner, advocate, speaker, you know, it can be all of those things. And um, I kind of like that there's not like a pure definition of it. And when I want to be a speaker, I'm a speaker who's a creator and who's found a path because of it. When I'm, um, you know, talking about things on social media, um, I can be an educator. So it's just really, really awesome. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And that's something that, that is super interesting with our generation, because I believe we're around the same age. I believe you're 20, 22, 23. 23. Yeah. 23. Yeah. Good yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm, I'm 21. So it's really interesting about, uh, people that are, are like around our age. Right. Cause it's like, if you look at most likely you look at our parents and stuff and it's the majority of them have the same cr- that have been at the same company for 20, 25 years, 30 years. Right? right. And that was the sort of original flex was like, you know, sort of being at like being at a company for a really long time and, you know, doing that type of stuff. Whereas now it's like, um, it's like size, you know, like the hustle culture and all that type of stuff. And it's like trying so many different things. And a lot of people, um, you know, aren't really wanting to do the 20 year, you know, career at a one company, a lot of people jump around. So I think it's really interesting to sort of hear your perspective of how you're sort of navigating that world. Um, but yeah, yeah, so just for starting off, um, for people that maybe haven't come across any of your content or sort of, what, what, what you've been putting out there, um, let, let, let's just start off with where did you grow up? Uh, what school did you go to and what was your first passion? Oh, okay. Wow. This is a big question. Um, uh, I'm going to go with the, I grew up in New York city. First and foremost, I think one of my first passions was competitive swimming. Um, and I had to shift around age 11, uh, when I was diagnosed with my chronic illness, because I wasn't able to really put my body in that kind of stress mode all the time. Um, I was not destined to be an athlete, I guess, competitive swimmer. Um, And I found art and photography and that quickly became my next passion and is still a current passion of mine. Um, I went to a high school called LaGuardia High School of Performing Arts. Um, You may know some other people like Timothy Chalmay, Ansel Elgort, Jennifer Aniston, Nicki Minaj, the list goes on. A lot of really successful actors have come out of that place. Um, And also successful creators, successful filmmakers, yada, yada, yada. Um, I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology for a year, and then I actually transferred to the University of Southern California. So I am a good old transfer student. Um, And then I am now at USC again for my master's. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's absolutely incredible. So, um, actually something I want to sort of t- touch on a bit was actually that, that high school. So for that high school, um, like, did you guys cover, like, it was it a lot more like drama based and like, you know, videography and, you know, photography and music that was like sort of the core of the school. 
Yeah. So the way that it works is kind of like the way undergraduate art degrees work. So basically you go in and you have normal high school class like any other kid, but then you also have three or four extra classes a day that are in emphasis in a different field of art. So sometimes it's like printmaking, drawing, photography, like this is specific for art, um, uh, whatever. And then there's also like music niches, like different drama classes uh, for like if you want to be in musical theater, if you want to just do acting, if you want to do screen acting um, for music, there's like woodwinds, there's, or is that what it's called? I don't know. Wood, wood instruments. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. Wooden instruments, like brass instruments. Like, I don't really know that side, like string instruments. Right. I know mm-hmm. that. Um, so that was like super cool. And it was kind of like a preview of undergrad for four years, which is like super cool and stressful at the same time. And I think it also just is like, it's a specialized school here in New York city. So if you're not familiar with the New York city education system, um, to get into what's called like a specialized high school, I don't know how many there are now, but I think it was like six or seven of them back in the day, you have to like test into them and like interview to get into the school. It's not just like a regular, uh, district school that you go to. And then on top of that, you can, I think you can also just like go to a district school, but I was like, I like art. I want to go to this school. So that is how I, uh, went down the path of going there. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, sort of, so transitioning, you know, going through your life, how, how, how did you sort of get into content creation? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you started with photography and art, which is, you know, in itself a form of content creation, but getting onto like social media content creation, when did that sort of spark your interest and you started sort of wanted to start going down that route? Yeah. Um, so when I was at, when I was 15, um, I was in my photography class and we had to make a book, um, like a photo book, you know, you can go on Shutterfly, throw some photos in, get a book delivered, uh, that kind of thing. And it was really to like tell a story through image making. So I wanted to tell the story of like, anybody can look like a supermodel. Anyone can be beautiful and build their and be confident and be on the magazine cover. So I went and I got like teen Vogue covers and photoshopped my friends onto them. And like, I didn't edit them or anything. And I was like, you don't need Photoshop to be pretty. And that was kind of like the spark of everything. And it's kind of crazy that like, I'm, you know, I was thinking about that at age 15 and now I'm 23 and it's like my career that I get to talk about it full time. Um, so I think, you know, obviously stay the course that took eight, eight years, um, in the making for me to build that. So that was like the first thing on the image making and storytelling side. Um, then when I went to FIT, my, one of my projects there was about that. And then I used that in my portfolio for like USC. Then once I was at USC, I started, uh, talking about chronic illness and mental health in my work. So again, it's all underlying and like what I've always been passionate about. And then in terms of social media, I joined a club called USC Reach. Uh, It is a social media club unique to USC and UCLA at the moment. Um, And it's all about content creators, the creator economy, digital marketing, anyone involved with social media and building a community around that. And that's where it started in 2017. And it's just kind of ebbed and flowed around that. I started working with brands almost instantaneously. And it was like, take your photography expertise and get paid by brands, not only to shoot the content, but to be in the content as a personality, as a model, as a, um, you know, brand ambassador and the rest is kind of history. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, you, you've sort of been in the space for quite a long time, but becoming the official title of title of sort of a content creator has, has you know, when you went to university and stuff, um, that's actually pretty interesting. So like at, at the, at the, you know, the California universities, cause I, I know it's near to Los Angeles, which is literally like the creator hub of the world, yeah. like, you know, LA and New York and stuff are huge creator hubs. Mm-hmm. So when, when you were in these sort of this uh, group, was there a lot of other, like, I guess all the other people were content creators as well, or yeah. were they wanting? So, okay. That, that, that must've been pretty exciting. So, I mean, like that must've helped out a ton with, you know, collaboration and helping each other um, boost each other's content, right? Like, I mean, it's sort of like almost like a creator house, right? Um, yeah. But it's but it's at the university, so I, I'm really interested yes. that more um, universities don't actually start something like this. But I mean, like as a student, you could start it yourself, right? Um, yeah. I mean, also like I would just say logistically, like we have to remember it takes a very specific kind of student to be a creator and commit to it as a career and a side hustle. And that's what this club really was. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, like you do TikTok. I do TikTok. I love TikTok. Like I'm going to learn how to be an influencer. It's like, no, you already have your presence established. And this is just kind of like the cadence and like the rules that the founders kind of created. And, um, you know, I think that that was like a really special thing about it. And everyone that wanted to become a creator, like we have um, I guess I can name drop. Why not? Right. Like I'll just like, you can link them in the show notes or just go to uscreach.com or uscreach on Instagram. But, um, like myself, Markion, party shirt or Xavier DePetta, um, uh, Cosette, Mia Finney, uh, Alan chicken chow and so many more, but those are just like, you know, a handful that, uh, we're kind of a part of like the original, first year, first class of reach. And I just think it's really cool because a lot of us have used the tools and actually implemented them to become creators full-time and run media companies and run our partnerships through that. And um, I also think part of the reason why other students, again, don't open these right away is one community building can be hard and it can be scary. Like at first everyone was like, ah, that social media club, you guys are so annoying. And then all of a sudden the past two years, TikTok has boomed, um, you know, YouTube's growing, the more things grow and, you know, the higher the profile, the creator at the university, um, the more people are interested. And now it's something where people are like, oh my God, we get like 200, 300 applications. And it's like, we only admit 15 people to the club. So um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is like, being a college student, right? Like how much time do you actually have to invest? I was on eboard for three and a half years, which is nuts. Um, not everyone chooses to do that, but like, I was super passionate about holding the community together and yeah, that's just a little bit about it. And it just takes time and energy and you have to commit to it and be okay with a meeting with 10 people in it and not 30 people in it. So yeah. 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 Yeah, that, 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 That's true. Um, so, so now I sort of want to transition to really like putting yourself out there. Right. Cause that, that's something that I've sort of like doing my research. That's something that you've, um, excelled at is putting yourself out there, trying different stuff and like, you know, not really caring what other people think about you. And you're just, you know, putting your content out there, putting, doing public speaking and all this other type of stuff. And to a lot of people, like, you know, as, as younger, like even myself, like I, I still get nervous, like doing podcasts and, you know, putting myself out there. So I'm really interested to hear your sort of perspective 
of like how you sort of overcame, like, I, I, I don't know if you overcame that fear right now, or is it something you still deal with on a daily basis, but you've learned just how to manage it. But how do you sort of manage with like, you know, the fears of public speaking and putting yourself out there, um, you know, pretty much the open world of like rejection and stuff? Um, well, I think something that you're saying is like the concept of fear and letting fear be the driving factor to you not having a voice. Um, and fear is honestly something that we have in our, in our head to give an objection anytime, right? It's, oh, if I start talking about something, I believe in somebody's going to get mad at me. Or if I start talking about a certain product that I love, somebody's going to judge me. It's a fear of rejection. It's the fear of not, you know, being accepted. It's a fear of whatever. But if you switch that mindset to what if I talk about it and I start building a community? What if I talk about it and a brand actually wants to work with me? What if I start talking about this and I land one of the coolest speaking gigs in my life, right? Like you just have to see the other side of it, I think, and, and remember that. So if you are feeling nervous or you're feeling something like literally grab a notebook or type it out somewhere and, or say it to yourself in a mirror, be like, right now I'm really nervous because like, I think we always say, oh, I'm just nervous. Oh, I'm just scared. Oh, I, I don't know if I could do that. It's like, why? why not? Like, what are you actually scared of? And when you can address that fear, like head on, on a piece of paper, on a digital screen or in the mirror with yourself, I think you're able to really flip the switch. So I didn't actually have a huge fear. I kind of like to, again, grab fear by the balls and really just be like, F you, I'm killing this. Um, so I think it first started actually when I was committing to doing musical theater in high school. And I did it, even though I was like scared of judgment, scared of how the audience people, how my family and friends would treat me. But the re the real like reality of it is, is like people in your life are going to support you no matter what, if they love you. Um, and even if they don't like what you're doing, they're still going to love you. Um, so I think that that is another thing to think about when addressing fear. And eventually, you know, I got a lead in the show. I had to sing all of these songs with notes I forgot. And one specific show, I actually sang the same verse of a song twice. And I will tell you that not a single person other than my best friend who was playing the, the lead on the days that I wasn't noticed that I messed up and saying that verse twice. So my point there is a lot of the time when you are going into something with public speaking, if you mess up, people will only know that you mess up if you break down your posture and you break down your confidence visually and outwards. If you can hold that and like maintain it um, throughout any conversation, I think that that's also something that you can use to your advantage and you can use to kind of control uh, how much you do well or like how much you don't do well. And again, it's all about confidence and delivery. So uh, long story short, we got to work on our confidence and overcome that fear. And then you can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And yeah, that, 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 that's actually funny that you mentioned uh, just being confident, right? Cause it's like, sometimes it's, you know, just having that confidence can actually be so crucial to, to success in your life and getting a deal. Right. Cause right. it's like, let's yeah. say if you're pitching somebody and it's the first time you're pitching somebody and you're like, Holy crap, I am so nervous. 
But if you just say, you know what, I got nothing to lose and you come across confident, it's, it's, it's really funny because it's like, you can have somebody that maybe might not have the skill set, but they're much more confident in what they're doing. And people will choose that over somebody who may have the technical skills, but is not right. as confident. So it's like, right, it's, right, it's right. That, that, that's the really funny thing that I find is like just how much confidence and, and in itself, it is a skill, right? So it takes practice yeah. at getting better, right? It's like, you know, like you, 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 you've sort of been doing this for a long time, right? Like, you know, since, you know, putting yourself out there in high school and stuff, doing like musical yeah. performances, right? Like being on stage is very, very uh, nerve wracking, right? So, I mean, if you can do that, Andy. you can sort of, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you can do that, you can sort of do a lot of other things, right? But it's just consistently yeah. putting yourself out there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so now I sort of want to transfer to um, pretty much getting brand deals. So this is something that um, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in because they're like, okay. And, and the point of this, like this episode is I really want to sort of um, sort of talk about like, how do you become a full-time content creator? Right. Because in that self, it's like, there's, you know, there, there's resources out there, but it's, it's like, you know, there's not like that much. And it's like, sort of like, what do I do? Like, it's, it's a really interesting space. Right. So it's like, how do you sort of get brand deals? And it's, you know, maybe some people think like, oh, I need to have millions of followers or something, but in reality, you don't need to have millions of followers. Even if you have 10,000 or a hundred thousand or 50,000, like, and they're a very dedicated audience, like you can do a lot with that. So, um, that's what I sort of want to hear about is like, how do you go about brand deals? Like how many followers do you need to get sponsored? Like, you know, how do you pitch brands, uh, you know, to, to use you as a brand ambassador? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I got my first brand deal when I was under, I think 1500 followers. Um, and it was with Abercrombie and Fitch. So like, (laughs) this is just a testament to the fact that like, if you want to have the objection, um, and again, the fear that a brand isn't going to want to work with you because you don't have a certain number of followers, then you're not going to get a brand deal. Um, but if you're like, I do have a small engaged audience and, you know, I also can offer you this premium photography or this premium video, like, right. Like that is what brands want nowadays. And they want those engaged audiences. And, um, I think more and more brands are realizing that, influencers aren't necessarily there to a hundred percent convert. They're there to kind of like get the product out in front of you, like a new product that's on display at a grocery store or, um, a new collection when you walk into a fashion store, whatever, um, they want you to like realize that and see that, and then potentially go check it out online. And after they check it out online a couple of times, they want you to buy it. So, um, you know, I think it's not like that instant, like, oh, like we need a hundred percent of clicks like right away, or like we need, it's always over time. And we're hearing this thing about long-term partnerships, um, long-term. And I think the reason why is because we're shifting from an industry where it is predominantly a nine to five workplace and having somebody in-house who might be a social media creator in-house or who might be, uh, you know, their in-house photographer, in-house videographer, in-house designer. And they're saying, oh, there's actually smaller creators who have a style that we like better, that works better for our brand. We'd rather pay them less than the person that we would be paying if they work for us. Um, so they pay you less, but to you as a freelance creator, you're like, oh, I want that. It's a gig. So you like go for it anyway. And then As a creator, I think that's something to watch out for is like knowing your worth, knowing what to charge, knowing industry standard, knowing what a salary is getting, like someone on salary is getting paid for a similar job. Um, And then also taking the other aspect of it, which is your appearance and your integrity and your 
your face value, your personality. Um, and the brand is basically using that, right? So the bigger you get, um, let's say you're verified, a brand is now saying like, oh shit, like here's this like big verified creator who, you know, talks about blah, 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 blah. And like, she's trustworthy. So, or he's trustworthy or they're trustworthy. We're going to use them. And you don't always think about intuitively factoring that in You're because you've been trained like, oh, it's just about a post. It's just a post. No, it's not just a post. It's coming up with a content idea, being the art director, the stylist, the producer, um, the talent. And then there's the marketing side of it. That's like, they're going to put so much ad spend behind that budget. Anyway, so like you as a creator have to protect yourself and know your worth. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is how to get started, how to pitch. I actually just posted something on LinkedIn today about that, which was, uh, do you send out cold emails or do you think cold emails and DMs are effective? And to that, I say, absolutely. It's about value and what, um, what kind of relationship can be fostered from that. So Sometimes I think social media can be called like superficial or super fake or super toxic because people think it's very one-sided. It's like creators just want um, a brand partnership so that they can get money. No, it's not like that. It's like, how can we collaborate and create something for the audience that benefits the brand, that benefits the creator, and that benefits the audience? Um, I think about this specifically with speaking gigs and with uh, freelance content creation. So uh, let me know if there's anything I didn't touch there. No, no, no. Like that, 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 that covered a lot. And I sort of want to dive into that a little bit more. Um, so you got your first brand sponsorship sponsorship when you were under 1500, was that on Instagram or was that on TikTok? That was on Instagram. And I got my first brand deal on TikTok when I was under 5k. Um, under but 5K. again, and again, like one day you could have 5k, the next you could have hundred K like, you never know what it is. And <laughs> I really want to drill into your head that like, if you want to base things and brand deals off of numbers, you absolutely can. Um, I'm going to tell you that you won't ever land a brand deal if you keep that mindset. Ah, okay. Okay. So, so sort of talking about that, um, are, are, are you sort of like, I, I sort of want to dive into your sort of mind of how, how, how you sort of do your pitching. Right. Um, so with that, like, are you doing like more one-off type, uh, content for, um, for, for brands? Or are you saying like, or, or are you sort of positioning yourself saying like, Hey, you know what? I'll be posting, you know, two or three videos a week about, and I'll be the one who's creating it. I'll be to photography, like taking the pictures, all that type of stuff. Cause I mean, like that's something that's really, that must be really appealing to brands, right? Because if they wanted to produce the same content, uh, it's probably going to be three different people to produce the one, yeah. the same piece of content that you can produce because you sort of have all those type of skills, right? Like you have right. the sort of you know, the front facing, like acting, you have the videography experience, you have the photography experience, and then you also have the strategy as well. Whereas with that, like a brand, there's probably a videographer, then there's a photographer, then there's the actor. Um, and then, you know, then there's the strategist. So like that, that, that's something that you were saying that is really beneficial to your sort of side with the, uh, value add. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I sort of just want to hear a little bit more about that. Like, how do you sort of position your, yourself when you're pitching? Yeah, absolutely. I actually normally have this entire brand book um, is what I like to call it. And the reason why I call it a brand book is because it's about 
uh, I think like 25 pages long. And it essentially goes through all of the storytelling that I like to talk about, like my brand pillars, what they can expect from me, ways I like to work, where I've spoken. It's essentially your creative resume. So um, I like to include my website and portfolio, which also has the same stuff, but it's like a little more interactive. They can click on things, they can listen to things, whatever. Um, and then the media kit, like the standard media kit includes demographics and rates, right? Very transactional. If I want a long-term partnership, I want to tell a story as to why, like, they want to work with me. So I want to hook them with some gorgeous imagery to start um, something super catchy. And then I want to retain them by giving them information. And then boom, I want to change the subject to a different pillar, hook, retain, repeat. Like literally that is what I want you to get into your head when you're thinking of creating content um, online in different verticals. So that's the first thing. The second thing is research. Um, the same way that you said you researched me and I hope that everybody researches their guests before they have them on their show or before a brand works with a creator. It's again about knowing the audience, knowing the history, making someone feel valued, um, really playing into that rapport and that ethos kind of factor of marketing. And I think that that is something that, again, I'm super passionate about. Not every creator is. I have tons of friends who are like exclusively comedy creators and they really give a shit about like more than just being a comedy creator or like people who are fashion creators and they don't give a crap about anything except for the fashion. And um, that is their ethos and that's completely fine. But mine specifically is is very deep um, and not as surface level in my opinion. So um, website, media kit slash brand book. Um, and then in the actual pitch itself, relationship building. Hi, Suzanne. I saw that you are the marketing and PR director of, you know, blah, blah, blah company. Um, I recently saw this specific ad or this specific post, and it really inspired me because blah, blah, blah. It made me think about ways that we would be able to partner together. I actually had some ideas in mind. Um, I attached my media kit and would love to talk through some, you know, ways that we could potentially collaborate together. Thank you so much. I hope to hear soon. Let me know if you have any questions. Best, Gigi. Boom. Um, keep it short. Keep it simple. Give them three things. One, you're introducing... Um, yourself and you are, you know, saying like, thanks for connecting or hello, I saw you're, you're in this position. So that way they know that you're not just some random person sending them an email. They know that you spent the time to research them again, value relationships. Um, two, you're showing that you're invested in the company already because you saw an ad or you saw a post that you like, or you saw another collaboration that you like. So you know that they have a budget for collaborations and you know that they could fit under your vertical. Um, that's the second thing. And three is introducing yourself and making sure that like basically proving yourself and giving them the stuff and saying like, Hey, here's all this work I've already done. Let's like figure something out. Let's work together and leaving the ball in their court. Um, even though you have the upper hand, you've done everything that you can, you've like put it all out there. And another thing that again, goes with objection is if they say, Hey, no, we don't have a budget. Not right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Reach out in three months, reach out in six months, a year, you never know. So yeah. that is uh, pitching one-on-one with me. Yeah, yeah, no, like, and and that, that that's that's absolutely amazing. I I really think you should uh, uh, create a YouTube video about that because that like how much information you just like I I I don't know if you already have maybe a YouTube video detailing that specifically, but 
um, all that information it's was coming. absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> all, all that information was absolutely phenomenal. And I know a lot of people like probably that maybe were like 17 or 18 or 19, um, that want to become content creators. There's not like a unit. It's not like you can go to university, right. like, unless you're maybe in LA or New York where they have like better opportunities. But if like, I, I'm from right. Canada, right. So in Ottawa, like my city, there's not really like you know, a, a content creator university or how to be a social <laughs> media, like ha- how, how to do yeah. brand deals and all that type of stuff. So literally all the learnings from online. Right. So I, I, I think posting something like that would be amazing. Um, yeah. uh, I, I know we're coming a little bit close to the end here. I've just got a few more questions. I wonder if you're sure. good for time with that. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Awesome. Um, one thing, uh, pretty much all that stuff that you're mentioning there, uh, is absolutely phenomenal. And I sort of want to talk a little bit about, um, sort of like getting a manager, like that's something like, when do you need to do that? Like, do you have to do that at a, like, should you be entertaining that? Because everything you sort of just mentioned there is like something that I would probably say like a manager sort of does right. Like with pitching, but I mean, you can do it all yourself. Right. And you can sort of cut out the the manager, right. Who's going to maybe take 10% or 20% of, the, the brand deal sponsor. Right. So, um, that's something I want to know about. Like, do you, are you like, should you get a manager? Should you not get a manager? Is there a certain level that when you should get a manager, like what, when does that sort of come, like come into like the sort of situation? Yeah. Um, great question. First of all, I think it is purely subjective and purely based on what you need as a creator. If you're somebody who's getting a ton of deals coming in, I think it's a great opportunity to have somebody negotiate and look over the clauses and make sure you're not getting effed over with usage rights or with like appearance fees and all of that stuff. Um, The next thing is like where to go. I mean, there's tons of things online that are like the best influencer agencies. Let me just say they make it really hard to actually talk to somebody. Um, I think a lot of the time when talent agencies deem you fit, they'll reach out to you, which is like kind of annoying and very gatekeepy in my opinion. So again, I think it's purely based on the need of a creator. I was with a talent agency on like a trial for a little bit and it just wasn't a good fit for me. And that was again, partly because I didn't really vibe with like my team. The other part was because, you know, I just don't think that they were pitching me the way that I really wanted to be pitched. It was kind of just like I was another person making them some bang for their buck. And that was kind of annoying to me. And a lot of times these agencies will, especially boutique agencies will uh, take advantage of smaller creators and be like, oh yeah, you're, you know, a great creator. We want to bring you on. And then they just take a percentage of your deals. And, um, you know, it's really just, it's, it's purely preference. Um, You could also, which I think might be a good idea for some creators is to hire like an assistant, a virtual assistant, a real assistant, um, a college intern, someone to handle their pitching for them. Um, And maybe you pay them hourly and let's say it's like 10 hours a week or I mean, 10 hours a month um, at like 40 bucks. It's like $400 a month. And let's say you land a couple of brand deals for a couple of grand. You're already saving on the, like the agency fee or the uh, what's it called commission that mm-hmm. an agency would take from you. Um, also when you take like sign up to an agency, the way that your deals usually come in is that the finance goes uh, from like because you're signed to them, the money will go to the agency from the brand and then the agency will pay you out wow. um, instead of the money going to you and you paying the agency. Yeah. So that is like something I would for sure watch out for because they can like 
if, if you're not on top of your books as an influencer, you can for sure lose money. Um, if you're not on top of reaching out to brands being like, Hey, when are you paying me? Like this was due five days ago. Also including late fees in your contracts, people like that's super important. And that's something a talent manager would be able to negotiate for you. Um, or if you have a lawyer like to look at on retainer, right. That's another thing I would say, if you are not having an agent, have somebody pitching it for you, like a virtual assistant and have a content influencer lawyer, which I'm still struggling to find someone that I like, um, to review all your contracts for you to make sure you're not getting screwed over. Um, yeah. so yeah. 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 No, no, hundred percent. And something that I, I remember hearing, cause, uh, like I, I follow social media creators and stuff. And one of the creators I sort of follow a bit is Josh Richards. Cause I, I love mm-hmm. what he's doing with like his business side and combining his brand with, you know, business and all that type of stuff. And I remember seeing him on a podcast and he was talking about when he first started getting like, you know, he started getting a lot of followers and all that type of stuff. Uh, I think he did like a tour or something around the US, right? And for that whole tour, he got paid like $750 or something. And they were like selling out like small, like, like small, like uh, not like arenas, but like small, like yeah, conferencing spaces. places. Yeah, spaces and stuff. And they literally didn't get paid anything. So he was like, he was like, holy shit, like I really got screwed over on this, yeah. right? Cause like the, the, the management was like, um, oh, you know, we have the traveling costs we have, like, to be honest, if somebody wants to screw you over, they can create as many costs as, as they oh, want yeah. and stuff. They're just like, they just start bullshitting. Like, oh, there's admin fees. Oh, there's traveling costs. There's food. There's all this. And it's like, unless you go through it, like line by line and you know, like that, that in itself takes a lot of work. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I really love the advice that you said there is like, you, you don't like not all the time you really need a manager, but if you do take a manager, make sure you have somebody who's going to help you make sure that your contract is solid and you're not going to get screwed over. Right. Um, yeah. And also one more thing that a friend of mine said to me recently is like, when you have a manager or you're paying a virtual assistant, um, or an assistant brand partner, whatever, you know what I'm trying to say, the person in this position negotiating these deals for you. Um, you're essentially buying back your time by not doing that. So make it a well worth it expense. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so now I sort of want to do it like, uh, I've got two last questions for you. Sure. Well, uh, sorry, three last questions. Um, yeah. So one of them is what was one of your best moments being a content creator and what was one of your worst moments being a content creator? I'm going to start with the bad. Cause I always like to start with the bad and then end with the good. Um, the bad was probably like just dealing with, <laughs> uh, okay. Can I give two? The, the first one is just like the fact that sometimes things get taken down on TikTok just for like being body, body image creator. Sometimes it's like deemed as inappropriate and just like comparing yourself constantly to like the skinnier people on the app and just being like, those people are so much hotter. They look so much better. Like, why is their content not getting down if they're in a bikini and mine is like, that's not fair. Um, and also just seeing TikTok like suppress other kinds of content. Um, another bad moment on social media was there's this hair care brand that I love that is like somewhat controversial and some people found that I was talking about it on TikTok and were like really like being scary and like pulling me into other videos and being like don't support this influencer and I was like oh my god it's literally like what I wash my hair with like chill like I'm not trying to sell you I'm just talking about the fucking shampoo I use so um I like 
like privated all of those videos because I was just like, I can't have this kind of shit go down with my brand. It's so negative. And my page is not about negativity. And if I don't have, if I won't talk about the shampoo that I use and also like, why is anyone interested in that? Like, I don't know. Um, maybe I should have just like realized that like, GG, people are literally mad about the shampoo that you're using. Um, and then the good, I would say, uh, just like a lot of the speaking opportunities I had in 2021, um, I got to speak to Yahoo, Verizon Media, um, Facebook uh, slash Meta and like SoundMine at the Grammy Museum. So I think like those speaking opportunities and being able to actually take my career as a creator onto stages where people are like, picking my brain or like asking me questions or I'm providing value to them is like the most important um, and successful thing that I think I've done. Yeah. 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 hundred uh, percent. And one thing you, you mentioned there that, that I, that I love was uh, sort of like that, that goes a little bit into the cancel culture and like, mm-hmm. just like people just like canceling you for some like the random the most like like to be honest like how 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 would you have known that let's say if like the one of your brands that you're using is like maybe doing something wrong or maybe they don't do something that you know is like blah 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 blah, right and then like because like what are you supposed to research every like every single product you use in your entire life like nobody does that right and just penalizing uh pretty much a creator because of that i i think is pretty shitty but it's like it's one of those things you you you, like i guess you sort of need to figure out is like how to deal because when you're in the social uh the social eye of right it's like there's always a lot of tension to you which can be great because it can give you amazing opportunities but there can also be people that decide to be a bit of an asshole and just try and drag you down right yeah Um, I think like you just have to as a creator be kind of polarizing and give people something to talk about in some ways I'm not saying do crazy stupid shit but if your content is not like making a statement, then there's not going to be that momentum of growth. And as you grow, like literally you're always going to have haters no matter what. So that's why I talk about positive things, the positive people, like your vibe attracts your tribe. Those kinds of people follow me, the people that want to better their lives and like, um, look at self-improvement or like wellness or mental health content, follow me for that. Um, and then the people that want to be negative and self-deprecating, they comment, they see it, they interact with it they're still interacting, right? Like, are they going to be somebody that listens to my podcast? Probably not. Um, Are they going to be somebody that just engages and says something negative and is projecting an insecurity of theirs onto my page and in my network? Yeah. So like, it's, it's just about choosing what you want to do with it. Um, And then also like, if you make a mistake, that's like a whole other side of cancel culture is like, you make a big mistake coming out, apologizing, explaining, um, you know, like how much you affected your communities and then um, just moving forward from there. Like there's only one, one way we can go. We can't go back. We can only go forward. So doing that in a way that's like respectful um, and where you're kind of like addressing the fact that you messed up is important. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree. Um, so now uh, sort of the last question I have here is what is one question you wish people asked you more about your life? Mm. That's a really awesome question. And um, I honestly think the question of like, how are you doing? And not the kind that it's like, oh yeah, like I'm fine. Like the kind where it's like, oh, like actually I genuinely like want to sit down and like 
what's going on? Like, what kind of projects are you working on? Like, not just to pick my brain, not just to get something from me, like to genuinely just like care um, is something that I think is super important. And we forget that creators are people outside of their personality. So it's always like, the example of like when I got verified immediately people were like coming up to me being like oh my god like how are you doing like I hope all is well how'd you get verified and I'm like you don't really give a shit about me we haven't <laughs> talked in two years like um so just like like really like approaching people with like just like genuine like not like I want something from you but like again how can just we have interest. a partnership how can we have a yeah. friendship like yeah like not just being very transactional is very transactional friendships are gross I a friend of mine was like yeah like I don't I don't go to any of those mean girls clubs and that's what she kind of calls those uh one-on-one interactions where people just want things from you yeah 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 100 that's 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 something that happens once you start getting a follower base right people a lot of people or, or or even like when you start making like good money and people know that you're making good money or that you're starting to get famous like they just come out of the woodwork yeah. and they're sort of like hey how's it going <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. i mean like i think there's a value in reaching out to people and trying but sometimes people just miss the mark on delivery and it is what it is and i also think like consistency or persistence is important because like you know sometimes it takes one or two messages to get a hold of someone depending on how good they are with their notifications or their inboxes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, again, like giving people grace as well. Like I know not everybody means the worst all the time. They're just trying to better their life. Um, and I help where I can, of course, but, uh, as a creator, like you're saying, or even in a career, if you get to a certain point and you're working at a big company, let's say it's one of the big finance companies, right. And your friend who's a couple of years younger and your frat or sorority or club or someone on campus reaches out to you. And, um, you're an alumni, you're making it big, like, like it's your choice. The ball's in your court. You get to decide how you deal with it. And a lot of the time I just kind of shrug my shoulders, but do I wish people asked me like, more personal things. Absolutely. I think we all do. And part of that's just like wanting to feel valued and a part of something. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and I think that's a great place to sort of end, end off the podcast. Uh, so yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Gigi, uh, where can people find out, uh, more about, you know, what's going on in your life and also any new projects that you have coming out? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. Um, Great conversation. I don't think I've really recorded any episodes on any of this stuff. So super excited to share this one uh, with my audience. Uh, You can Google my name, Gigi Robinson, Uh, you know, find my website, ggrobinson.com. Find me on all social at uh, like the at symbol, the word it's and then my name, Gigi Robinson. Um, so really, really difficult to find clearly. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was so awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank thank you guys for uh, listening. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you guys making it all the way to the end. If you got any value from the episode, uh, if you can please, you know, leave a review or like um, the podcast that helps out a ton with the show. Until next time, have a great day, guys.